We're going to talk creation today. We're going to chat a little bit about Genesis chapter 1. If you saw the title online, and if you're someone like Blair, maybe you saw church news and you got all excited, all right, we're talking creation, and we're going to have this sort of creation versus evolution debate. Just a knockdown, drag out, and get all the science out here and do that. Blair, I'm sorry, that's not where we're going today, all right? Well, I apologize for that. We don't have, it's outside of our scope for where we're going and what we're doing. But what I want to simply say is this. God, we said last week, was the only one who was here at the beginning. He's the only one that is everlasting. He's the only one that existed before time, before creation. And so I'm going to err on the side of taking God's view of things. And what God said about the beginnings is what I'm going to believe. And I'm going to take the Hebrews 11 approach. It says, by faith. Faith by definitions in things we can't see. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So everything in the physical universe came, had an origin in something that wasn't seen. And that speaks against the evolutionary process and tells us that God is the one that made it. And we're going to see how that process happened today. Remember, um, as we read through this, we want to take a, a normal, literal view of Scripture. In other words, we just we take it at face value of what it's saying, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna leave the debates for another time, and we're gonna focus on what the Bible is telling us about God, because that's the most important thing here. We, we said last week that the purpose of our study is to know God. It's not just getting a lot of facts so that we can win debates. It's not so we can know the stories of the Bible better. The reason we're doing this study is to know Him, to have a relationship with Him, and to know Him as He's revealed Himself to us in this story. And we said the best way to know about God, to learn about God, is in story form. It's not just learning a list of attributes about God and memorizing them. The best way to learn about God is to see God in action as he revealed himself in this story. Last week, we only made it four words into the scripture. In the beginning, God. But only four words in, we learned these four amazing, foundational, life-changing truths about God that, that this story is about God. We said he's the main character, it's not us. And we said that God is an everlasting God, which means he's always been and he always will be. We learned that he's the self-existent God. In other words, he needs nothing outside of himself to be. And we learn that he's the only God. There is no other God. And this week, we're going to look at the rest of Genesis chapter 1. I told you we'd pick up the pace. And we're going to see six things in creation. In these six days, these six wonderful things that God reveals about himself in this story. We're going to learn that God's all-powerful. We're going to learn that he knows everything. He's all-knowing. That he's everywhere. That God is creatively caring. And that he's a God of order. And finally, that God is good. So let's jump in. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to be in the ESV this week, English Standard Version. In the beginning, God created. All right, stop right there. Good, we made progress. Another word. Okay, we're cruising. I'm going to ask you something. Who, who here can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Raise your hand if you can make a peanut. There's not enough hands going up. Who can? Okay, good. All right. Now, where is the, I want, where's Cody? I wanted to, oh, that's awkward. Hmm. All right. Uh, who, Corey, you said you can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? All right, come up here. Come up here real quick. We're going to see if you can walk the walk, buddy. You tell him you're bragging about your peanut butter and jelly skills. Now, Corey, go ahead and make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Or is it stuff? 
Where's the stuff? You just said you can make it. You can't tell him you need materials? You are so needy. All right. Well, how about try just like speaking it in. Say, let there be a PBJ. Try that. Just try it. Let there be a PBJ. That doesn't work. Just try it. Just try it. <laughs> I'm the pastor. I know everything. Try it. Let there be PB and J. That didn't work. Well, that was anticlimactic. Sorry, okay, so you can't, you, in other words, you said you need the supplies to be able to make it. Yeah? Yeah. You need the supplies. All right, get out of here. All right, Corey, guys. Corey, all right. So, are you clapping? You didn't even make it. Now listen, thanks, Corey. To create takes real ability and it takes real power, something that Corey apparently does not have. You know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, oh, there's, that's what it looks like, Corey. Um, outside of Homer, there's, a, there's an artist named Norman Lowell. I don't know if you're familiar with Norman and his work, just north of Homer. It's an amazing studio. The guy is 91, and he's still painting. It's incredible. But even Norman Lowell, as creative as they come, he needs a paintbrush, he needs paint, and he needs a canvas. And without those things, he can create nothing. We have guys in our church who can make amazing homes. I think of guys like John Thornton and, and Tom Phillips, and they can do these incredible things, but they still need a hammer and nails and wood to create what they're creating. Corey can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but without that peanut butter and jelly and a piece of bread, he can do nothing. Creation is impressive, but what God did is infinitely more impressive because what God did when he created he created the Latin phrase is ex nihilo. It's Latin for out of nothing. So everything that God created, he created something. He created everything from nothing. And God didn't say, all right, you know, I got to run to the Home Depot and grab 40 trillion tons of dirt and billions of gallons of water. I mean, a lot of green paint, right? To hire a bunch of people, pay them Davis bacon wages because it's going to be a lot of work. Uh, God didn't do that. God, it says in Hebrews 3, the, the 11, the, the verse we already read, we understand the entire universe was formed at God's command and that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. God created the entire universe with no physical supplies. This is unbelievable. And what we see here in these first three verses, look with me, is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was without form, and it was void, and, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, in these first three verses, we see these three glorious truths about who God is, okay? Look at, first one is, God is all-powerful. The, the fancy word we use for this is omnipotent. The word all, omni means all and, and potent means power. So he has all power. The psalmist, they wrote in Psalm 147, how great is our Lord. His power is absolute. I threw my hips out just trying to move to a new apartment in May. Okay? God creates the entire universe out of nothing, which takes a power that we can't even begin to comprehend. And what it shows us is that God can do anything that he wants to, but his will is limited by his nature, okay? God can do anything. He is all-powerful, but that power will only be operated within 
his nature. We'll talk about a little in a few minutes what that means. But for now, we know that God can do anything that he wants, but he only does, he only wants to do things that are in according with his nature. Second thing, God is all-knowing. Again, the fancy word there is omniscient. Omni meaning all and science meaning knowledge. Again, we go to the psalmist and he says, how great as our Lord, his power is absolute. Same verse, his understanding is beyond comprehension. Or the ESV says beyond measure. It says you can't measure all that God knows. It goes beyond any ability to even measure it, let alone know what God knows. Listen, when God went to create the world, he didn't have to Google it, okay? D-I-Y, how to create your own personalized universe. He didn't look at Pinterest. Oh, that's a cute idea, you know? He didn't have to go there. God, he didn't consult engineers that didn't exist at the time. He didn't have to look at blueprints. You think about that. God knew how to make everything that exists. He already had that knowledge. It's it's amazing. And finally, God is everywhere. God is everywhere in the word omnipresent. Omni, again, meaning all and present in a place. He is in all places. He's in all places. And I love in Jeremiah 23, it says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God that's far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? And we'll see, we'll look at that more in Genesis 3, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. We talked last week about how enormous this universe is. And God says his presence fills every nook and cranny of it. It's amazing. Now, imagine, imagine for us to try to even make like the simplest of objects. Look at the chair that you're sitting in right now. A a fairly simple metal chair, okay? Imagine all that it takes to know and be able to do just to make that one metal chair. First of all, where do we get the right kind of metal? Like, where do we get the rock that we make the metal from? Where do we find that kind of ore? Well, we need a geologist, someone who can step in and tell us, well, this is the rock, and this is where it's located. Okay, but now that rock is in the ground. How do we get it out of the ground? So we need someone who is an expert in mining, who can tell us how to extract that from the ground and have the explosives and the equipment that is necessary to get out of the ground. And now that you get it out of the ground, you just got a bunch of rock. It's still not a chair. So what do we do next? We need to know someone that has, that understands the, the smelting process, okay? My rock needs smelted. So, so now we come to someone who has expertise in this and they smelt it for us and now we just have this glob of metal. We're still not there yet. It still doesn't look like a chair. So we need someone who knows how to weld. And finally they weld this chair. Now the metal looks like a chair, but we still only have the metal. If you notice, some of them have broken off, but most of us have this, these plastic knobs at the bottom of these chairs that make sure we don't rip up the carpet. Well, where does that plastic come from? It's a petroleum product. And if anyone in Alaska knows about that, we need to find someone who knows how to drill for oil. And think about all the people we're bringing in just for those little plastic knobs on your chair. And we didn't even start talking about the paint on the chair or that little, that little fabric cush for your tush, okay? That all of these things had to come from someone you think about just to make the simplest object like a chair. And all of the, 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 the dozens, if not hundreds of people that are involved in making that one chair. No one person has all the ability and knowledge to do that. And yet God not just making a metal chair, but every physical object in the known universe. He had the power, he had the knowledge, and he had the presence to do so. It's amazing. And if that's not crazy enough, verse 3 just kind of tells us in passing how he did it. It says in verse 3, And God said, let there be light. 
and there was light. Listen, Corey can't even speak a peanut butter and jelly sandwich into existence. Some help he is. And in one breath, God speaks this thing called light into existence. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. This is our God, you guys. And in day, day one, look at what he does. He goes, and God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. God invents day and night. And it's crazy to think that he existed before the light, which shows us that he didn't need that light to see. Like the lights came on. Oh, there's the angels. Hey, guys. God could see before the light was created, and that is just act one. That is day one. There are five more creative acts in this drama that is about to unfold as the heavens and the earth are made. Look at day two. Day two, verse six. He goes, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. So remember back in verse 2, he said, God, when, when the, the world was first formed, it was dark and it was formless and it was completely covered with water. And now God is going to make it a home, make it a livable place. And so the first thing that he does, and your version might say firmament, uh, but it says he creates an expanse. And what he does is he takes water on the earth and separates it from water that goes above the earth. Now there are a lot of scholars who have different takes on what this means, but there are many who hold to what's called the canopy theory. And what that basically is saying is this water that was kind of expanded, almost like a giant bubble around the earth was formed to create what is our atmosphere. And because of that, that canopy, what, what happened was then this create kind of like a greenhouse effect over the entire world. So every spot on earth was like Hawaii all year round. Another reason to be mad at Adam and Eve for eating that fruit, amen, right? And so, so what God does... Is, uh, is he makes this, now there, there are some who, I should say, there are some who reject this theory, uh, even biblical scholars who argue from scripture and from science who say this canopy couldn't have happened, that if you have that much water in the air it actually would have scorched the whole earth, and again that's kind of outside of, of our time here this morning, but either way, what we do know is that God makes this sky on day two, our atmosphere, and that atmosphere had to be created just like it was so that you and I could survive. And again, the kind of power that it takes by a word to separate these waters. I can't even get my shower to have better water pressure in my apartment, let alone do what God just did on day two. Day three. It says, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds and fruits bearing fruit, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. All right, so up to this point, we just had one giant ocean on earth. It was like water world without Kevin Costner. 
And so these two things happen, though, on day three. First of all, he separates, he gathers all the water into one, into these different places, and he calls them oceans and seas, and then that dry land is, is, is called land. And the second thing that he does is he makes the plants and the trees on this dry land, okay? This is what he forms on day three. And it's an incredible thing to think about. I love the way Isaiah says this, of why he did this. Says, for this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. You see, the reason God is making this world the way he's making it He's making it a place where we can live, where the creatures can exist. So he gives us these plants that give us oxygen, that give us supplies to build with, that provide protection, that give us food. And all these things were created for our benefit. And this brings us to our our fourth point, that God is creatively caring. You see, so often, so often there's this notion about God and a notion about his people that, that Christianity, that God himself is boring. Okay, like this poor kid, I'm trying to make it through church. Some of you guys are like, I know the feeling, dude. Um, and we think of the tr- that, that we're just kind of this bland people. It's just, everything's boring. We're just a bunch of nuns and monks sitting around, unable to have fun. God does, it's just a list of things that God's given us that we're not allowed to do. When the reality is, God is the God who created fun. He's the one who created pizzazz, right? God's the one that created, he created color and expression and creativity. Like God is the ultimate artist. And I was looking, I did a Google search through some of these crazy landscapes on the earth. I mean, God made this. This is in Nevada. I have no idea what it is, but it's really cool to look at, okay? And and God made these things called a stone forest. I saw one of these in China. It's an amazing thing to look at, and they're all over the world. Uh, This is a lake in Australia, Okay, it's not doctored, it's not dyed. This is just a giant pink lake in Australia. Okay? It exists. You take a walk through Arizona and you see these insane things that God's put together. Okay? These waterfalls. And then finally, and this is real, these are called the painted mountains existing in China. And God made these things. He made each and every one of them. And, and you think about, God could have created everything in black and white. God could have just made, like, oh, you need oxygen? And just make these plain poles that just sort of emit oxygen. That's not what God did. God made trees of all sorts of shapes and sizes and colors. He made, you realize God made 450 oak trees? Just 400 different, four, over 450 different kinds of oak trees alone. Okay? And he made 9,000 different kinds of grasses. And each and every one of those grasses has their own DNA, that in each of those seeds that produces its own color, its own size, its own fragrance. You ever think that God could have just, he didn't have to make all different foods with different flavors? Like, God didn't have to do that. We didn't, he didn't have to make eating an enjoyable process. But God, and this is probably the most spiritual thing I'll say this morning, God is the God of sugar. Now, I know that most of what we see on the screen is not natural. These are not growing on trees. I get that. Just let me have my moment. Have you ever bit into a a delicious, like, what do we get, peach or strawberry or kiwi? You're like, no, I live in Alaska, dude. We don't have any good fruit up here. It's fair. That's a fair counterpoint. God could have made all food taste the same. 
Or he could, have, he could have made it have no flavor. Or worse yet, he could have made it have like sugar-free diet Satan flavors, right? Like that could have just been the way that he made things. He could have just given us these bland boxes that we just kind of, I don't chew into and it's just like, I'm just getting my nutrients or plug us in at night. He didn't have to make our nutrients an enjoyable process, but he did. And beyond that, you talk about fragrances, the thousands of fragrances that God has made on this earth. And not only that, but he gave us the nose to smell them. He gave us the taste buds to taste all those flavors, and he gave us the eyes to behold this beautiful creation that he made. And why did he do this? Why did he do this, First Timothy? God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So God cares about us, and he cares about us. Not only did he give us a world that we can live in and function in and survive in, but he gave us a world that we can enjoy and marvel at and that scientists and, and, and artists and humans alike are still exploring and being dazzled by. Day four. Day four. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let, there be signs and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so... And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And then I love, he goes, and the stars, okay? And just like a little side note, he made billions and billions of stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So God creates the sun and the moon and the stars. And this is incredible. Day one, God creates light. Day four, he creates the objects that give light. I, I just, all I can tell you is I'm putting that in the I don't know category, okay? And I'm leaving it there firmly. All we know is that God is a God who can create light from himself. We see at the end of all things in Revelation that he, his presence is light. So however he did this, I'm buying it, okay? Whatever he's selling. But we see here another reflection of God's character in creation. And what we see is that God is a God of order. God is a God of order. And let me explain what that means. Right now, a telescope, can, they can see or they can kind of estimate that we have somewhere around 70 sextillion stars. And that means that's 70,000 million million. Okay? And, and, or maybe this helps you. I don't know why it would. But 70 with, with 7 with 22 zeros. Okay, that's how many, and that's just how many we can see right now. There's probably way more than that. We could probably way more than that. That is 10 times the amount of grains of sand that are on the seashores on the entire earth. I mean, like, and then here's the craziest part. Every one of those stars and those planets, they are orbiting in orderly fashions. They are not just slamming into each other. It's amazing. Scientists actually use, when you look at our solar system, the movements of our planets are so precise that scientists can actually predict hundreds of years in advance where each of, exactly where each of those planets are going to be. And I can't walk in a straight line, right? He's orderly. We look at the Naval uh, Observatory, okay? Uh, this is where we keep official time in the United States. And the scientists actually use the stars in the sky to adjust this clock because of how precise the stars are, how precise God made them. The earth, it rotates, uh, it spins at a thousand, you realize right now we are spinning at a hundred thousand miles per hour? 
doesn't really feel like it, but we are. We're tilted at 23 degrees on our axis. We're 92.96 billion or million miles away from the sun. And you realize if any of that changed just a little bit, if our moon wasn't the exact size and distance from us that it was, if all of those things weren't exactly like they were, this world would become uninhabitable. God made things just the right way in just the right order to order to move around in just the right manner. I can't even navigate the roundabouts in Soldatna. And he has ordered this entire universe to work just right. And we, we're going to see this in 1 Corinthians. He says, God is not a God of disorder. He's not. And I praise him that he is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And we're going to see this played out in the rest of the story, that God made things to work in a certain way, that these things are not random and chaotic. Imagine if God were not like this. Imagine for a moment if the, all of our physical laws, astronomy, uh, biology, physics, uh, chemistry, these all hang on God being a God of order. If he wasn't, then all the, imagine just if just one law, you took the law of gravity, and for a day it was suspended. <laughs> um, that we would, it would be chaos. We would be, just imagine this room right now without gravity. We'd be slamming into each other, things would be breaking, John would be freaking out about all of his equipment. Um, we would just, it would be, death and chaos would reign on this planet if one law was suspended for one day. And when life feels chaotic, when your life feels out of control, remember that God is a God of order. That God is not random. That God has your life planned. He has your life purposed. And it may, from our human perspective, feel chaotic, feel random, feel like there is no plan there. But we don't see what God sees. We sing the song, Who Brings Our Chaos Back Into Order? Paul says in Colossians, He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. And listen to me. He holds the physical laws together, but he also holds each of our lives together. And that's a God that we can trust. Then day five, he goes, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. So fifth day, God creates the fish and the birds. Today we have over 10,000 species of birds on our planet. We have over 31,000 species of fish, and, and we don't even, there's a lot at the bottom of the ocean that we haven't even found yet. This is called, and this is actually a real thing, this is called a tuna tornado. First of all, cool to look at. Second of all, that would be an amazing nickname. If you want to start calling me the tuna tornado, I will not turn you down. Um... I don't know that it applies to me, but that's fine. Um, so God, and, and you notice one of the things that keeps popping up in these days, he said it in day three, or day four, he'll say it in day five, and then on the land animals on day six. He uses, keeps using the expression according to its kind or according to their kind. What he's saying, and part of God being a God of order, is something that you and I take for granted every day, that the mama bear gives birth to a baby bear. That, that, that the shrimp doesn't just, like, well, I guess that shrimp had a whale. Okay, that would be rough, right? It's not that the farmer knows when it plants a seed into the ground that they know what kind of crop is going to come up. 
He says that each of them, they bear the next, they're bearing things according to their own kind. And again, you imagine a universe where that is not true. It's something that we take for granted, but it's something that shows who God is. And then finally, day six, and then we'll be done. So God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Another thing that you've noticed, at the end of every day, he says, and God saw that it was good. And we're going to get to the creation of man next week. We get our own week. Um, but why, do, why does it keep telling us God saw that it was good? Why is that important to record in this narrative? What does that tell us about God? Well, the last thing we want to look at today is that God is good. Another way that we could say it is that God is perfect or he's flawless. The biblical, biblical word is that he is holy. Okay, and, and when we look at this, we said earlier that God um, can only do things that are according to his nature. And so because God is good, he can only create things that are good. In other words, God cannot create things that are flawed, that are imperfect, that are evil, that are bad, that are not just the right way they should be. That is outside of his nature. So when we say God is all-powerful and he can't violate his own nature, we're saying God can only create what's good. In that sense, he's limited. So when he makes a universe, he makes a perfect universe. You and I can't relate to that. Everything we, make, everything we do is flawed, right? And even the amazing things that we do are still not perfect, right? I told you about the story when I tried to make a uh, Mother's Day dinner for my mom. It's horribly flawed, okay? She did not see that it was good. That is, that's not how that story ended. Amen. Stay in your lane, Frankino. Um, But what does this mean then? What does this mean that God is good? What do we mean when we say that? Well, Jesus, when he was telling the story to the the rich young, or when he was talking to the rich young ruler, this is what he said. He goes, why do you call me good? Because he called him good teacher. He goes, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. And and here's why I bring that up to you. Because if we want to answer the question, what is good? We have to answer the question, who is God? Because God is the one that defines what is good. And whatever is of God is good, and whatever is like God is good, and whatever is not of God and not like God is not good. So if we want to define goodness, we have to define who God is. And as this story unfolds, God's going to show us more and more about himself and who he is, and we'll see what's good, and then we're going to learn a lot about what is not good. And we have to remember that God is God, and he's the only one that gets to decide what is good and what is bad. He sets the terms, not us. So, where do we go with this? You remember, we said in our prologue, we said, um, we we, we were learning about the leaning tower of Pisa, and how there's this one portion of the land that, the reason that it tilts is because one one side of the land is kind of marshy and sandy, and so the, the tower starts to sink down onto one side. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue of foundation. And in the same way, if we have a soft and marshy foundation in the way that we see God and we see the world, we're going to have a jacked up worldview. So we need to get to, to the roots and see God the way that he really is. Listen, last week 
we looked at this and we, we have to ask ourselves, do, do I have a firm foundation? Do I not just know the right things about God, but much more importantly, do I believe them in my heart? Last week that we said that this is about God, this whole story is about him, that he's everlasting, that he's self-existent, and that he is the only God. And listen, if we don't believe those things in our hearts, then we are going to try to be God. And we're going to try to make this thing about us, and we're going to try to take control, and we are not going to depend on God and let God be God. And we look at the things that we learned this week and we apply it. We say that God is all-powerful. And listen, if we don't believe that in our hearts, we know that, we've said that since Sunday school, but if we don't truly believe that God is all-powerful, then we are going to live a life in fear that there's going to be something in our lives that is too big for him to handle. And if we don't believe that he is all-knowing, then we're going to doubt his ability to understand us, to know how to lead us, to know how to protect us, to know what is best for us. We're going to doubt that, and that's going to change the way we live. If we don't believe that God is everywhere, then we're going to think that we can hide from him. It's this mistake Adam and Eve make in Genesis chapter 3. Or we're going to believe that he's over here dealing with somebody else that he loves more than us or cares about more than us, and he would never make the time to care about me, to have every hair on my head numbered. He's a God that fills heaven and earth. God is creatively caring. If we don't believe that God is creatively caring, then we're going to live a life that says God doesn't care about us. That he just kind of created us and then left. He's doing his own thing and kind of leaving us to fend for ourselves. He's kind of these soldiers to do his duty, to do his bidding. But he has no interest in our lives. He has no personal care for us. We don't believe that God is a God of order then we're going to come to believe that our lives are chaotic and meaningless, and they are out of our control and out of his control. And finally, how often do we struggle to believe, truly believe, that God is for us? To believe that God is in our corner, that he, he wants the best for us, he's actually planned the best for us. And when we face the pain and the heartache in our lives, do we really believe that God is good? See, God is in control, and we're not. (laughs) He is God, we are not. And he has a better, more orderly plan for each of our lives than we could ever create. Even if we were in control, we make terrible, terrible gods. But he, he is good. Next week, we're going to look at God's magnum opus, or as Blair told me, the Latin is actually opus magnum. So we're going to look at the creation of man and woman, and we're going to come onto the scene. We're going to learn more about God, and we're going to learn about ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, we know the facts, especially those of us who grew up in church. We know, we, we know none of us in here would, would say God is bad, God is evil, um, God is weak, God is distant, God doesn't love us, and yet, Lord, I look at my life, and I look how quickly I stray from true north, and how quickly I buy into the lies, and I, and I look within, and, and I believe what Satan's telling me, that I'm, that I'm too evil, that I'm too ugly, that I'm too gross for you, or to believe that you're not involved in my life, that you don't care about me, that you're not good, that you can't do it, that you don't understand. So God, I just ask simply that, 
you would give us the grace to trust you more, to believe that you are who you say you are in your word. Make us a people of faith. We can't see you. We see evidence around you in this beautiful creation. And I thank you that you've made this place a wonderful place to live, that we can enjoy life, that you've given us fragrances and tastes and sights and smells. But God, it's so easy as we drift through our week to believe that we're just kind of doing this thing on our own, especially when the hard times come. So God, make us a people who believe you are who you are. Lead us and guide us. May we trust you to be God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.